Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. Today, we're continuing our series on Old Testament prophets. And I've been enjoying these, uh, and I'm finding out new things every week. And today we're going to talk about the prophet who got her done. The prophet who got her done. And I know some of you say, well, was Joshua really a prophet? Well, yes, he was. Uh, He was a, a great leader. He led the people of Israel for 25 years, but he also spoke forth God's word, so that made him a prophet. But he also made a, a pro- prophecy that was took 500 years to fulfill. Now, I know that a lot of times people use the office and they use that term, say, I'm a prophet, I'm a prophet. Well, I tell you, I, I would not want to have that office because the Bible says if you're not 100% right, you're not right. And so most of the time I tell you it's my opinion. <laughs> right? You can't hold my opinion against me because everybody's got an opinion, right? Even you. And even if yours is different than mine, you've been wrong before and you'll be wrong again. So that's okay. But Joshua was a prophet. I want to share with you the one prophecy that he spoke long term. Prophecy long-term, it's recorded in Joshua chapter 6, just uh, one verse where it says, Joshua laid an oath or gave an oath on them at that time saying, cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city Jericho. That's right after the, the walls of Jericho fell. And it says, at the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. That was the only real prophecy that he uh, proclaimed. And we find 500 years later, between four and 500 years later, in 1 Kings chapter 16, it just tells us this. In his day, hell of Bethel built Jericho. And it's laid its foundation at the cost of Abraham, his son, and set up his gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segeb. In other words, both of those children died, and it was according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Joshua said it would not be rebuilt, and if it was, whoever rebuilt it was going to lose their two children. It happened 500 years later. Man, that's right on target. 500 years. And that's what biblical prophecy is. Now, how many of you remember Caleb? Remember Caleb in the Bible? Okay. Uh, you say, well, who was Caleb? He was the spy along with Joshua that went into uh, with 10 others. If I ask you who the other 10 is, nobody remembers them because they did not have faith. Those 10 did not have faith. But Caleb and Joshua were uh, the two that came back with a good report. Now, I know that I'm always finding things out that I did not know, and sometimes I just assume things. Do you ever assume things? I know that some of you do. How many thought that Joshua, when he started working and became the servant of 
of Moses that he was a young man. He and Caleb were the same age. So he was 40 plus years of age whenever he went into the promised land. He had been working with Moses, uh, or excuse me, he was 80 when he went into the promised land. He was 40 years of age when he started working with, with Moses as his servant. Now, I'd always thought of, of him being younger than Caleb. So when you start talking about Caleb over a little bit later, when he says, the old man, give me my mountain, Joshua could have said the same thing because he had been around the mountain as well. And uh, something else I found out that uh, Joshua was not, was not his young assistant. He died at the age of 110 years. He was a prophet or he was a led the nation of Israel for 25 years after they'd crossed the Jordan River. And originally, Joshua's name was not Joshua. Did you know that? Moses changed his name. It's recorded in Scripture if you go to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, verse 16. As these spies went out to spy the land, these were the names of the men whom Joseph, excuse me, whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hashem, the son of Nun, Joshua. He changed his name because Hoshea literally means salvation. Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. So he changed his name. Now I say, what significant does that mean? It, it's very significant because, Mo, uh, excuse me, uh, Joshua is the type of Christ in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, guess what his name would be? Jesus. And Hebrews 4, 8 says, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. In other words, Joshua was a forerunner of, of the Messiah. And his name was changed, but was a type of Christ. And his name was changed just from being salvation to Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. Because Joshua was a type of Christ. Joshua succeeded Moses just like the Gospels succeeded the law. I said, Joshua followed up Moses just like Christ followed up or the Gospels followed up the law. And I know some of you said, well, why did you call Joshua the prophet who got her done? Well, go with me to Joshua chapter 11. Joshua chapter 11. This is so neat. I've been thinking about buying a CD myself so I could hear it. <laughs> Joshua chapter 11, verse 15. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all the Lord had commanded Moses to do. He left nothing undone. In other words, Joshua got her done. He did everything that God had told Moses to do. How many knows that Moses didn't get a chance to do it? Moses disobeyed. So he did not go into the promised land. So Joshua replaced him and he got everything done that Moses was supposed to have done. He got everything done. He literally got her done. He was able to go in and bring the nation of Israel into the promised land. 
He was able to do that. How awesome was that? He established the nation of Israel in the promised land. He was a forerunner to the type of Christ. Now, what did Christ set up? See, Joshua came up and set up the nation of Israel into the promised land. What did Jesus set up? The church. He set up the church. He's a forerunner of, of the New Testament. And Jesus set up the church. And guess what? Joshua got her done. How many believe Jesus got her done? Jesus got her done as well. He did everything it was supposed to have done. When Christ was on the cross, he said, it is finished. Meaning that he accomplished everything. The substitutionary work on the cross was finished. And just as Joshua's work was established the nation of Israel, then Jesus' work was to establish the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, all those things. And just as Joshua did everything assigned to him by Moses, Christ did everything assigned to him by God. Moses came, I mean, excuse me, Jesus came to this earth for what purpose? To seek and to save that which was lost. To establish the church. And even as we perceive of communion this morning, as we uh, break communion together, we remember the work of Christ. We remember the work of Christ. And we also need to remind ourselves that he finished it, right? He finished the work for our salvation. And so did Joshua. Joshua was the one that got her done. For 25 years, he was leader in the nation of Israel. But we find something in Joshua chapter 13. Joshua chapter 13, where it says, Now Joshua was old. Any of you can search, some of you can search your name there. Darrell was old. But some of you are older. But we all can relate to that. Joshua was old. Now, he was getting close to 110. He died at 110. He was advanced in years. And the Lord said, now, it's bad enough for your wife to say you're old. It's bad enough when you get up in the morning and say, oh, I'm old. But when God says you're old, guess what? You're old. You're old. It said God says you're old and advanced in years. And there remains yet very much land to possess. I had a little bit of problems with that. When I read it, because remember Joshua was the prophet that what? Got her done. He had done everything that Moses was supposed to have done to conquer the land. He did everything to establish the nation of Israel in Canaan. But now it was God that said, but the work is not finished. The work is not finished. He said, there's still a lot of land to possess. There's still a lot of work to be done. Now, again, the New Testament counterpart for Joshua was a guy by the name of Jesus. Now, what was his words that he shared with us or shared about him in Acts Chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, begin reading verse 4. And while 
staying with them, this is talking about Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now let's put that back in the Old Testament concept. They could have went to Joshua and said, okay, we're here in the promised land. We got to cross the river. Are we finished? And Joshua said, nope. There's still a lot of land that needs to be possessed. There still needs to be a lot of things to accomplish by the nation of Israel. How many knows that that nation of Israel has been through a lot since Joshua's day? They went through a lot. There were still a lot of things that had to be done, and it's still being done. He started it. He did everything he was supposed to do to establish it. And he could look back and say, it's finished for me, but there's still some more work to be done. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it's finished. It was over. He was accomplishing everything that he was sent to earth to be done. But he said, it's not over yet. There's still work to be done. I think he could say there's still land to be possessed. He said, I want you to tarry. I want you to tarry and then be sued. He says, it is not for you to know the time or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Now, folks, I appreciate Bible prophecy. I appreciate people that study the end times, and I certainly would no way cast any reflection upon that. But I think that was a question the disciples were asking. Is it the end times? Is it the time you're going to be finished? I can tell you exactly when the end times will start. When God said it's time. Until then, there's a lot of work to be done. Until then, there's still some aspects we need to go through. Until then, we need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking up, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What's he saying? He said, there's still a lot of work to do. There's still some things that has to be accomplished and that's the purpose of the church. He did not set the church in order so that we could be a social club. He did not set the church in order so we could just feel good about ourselves. He set the church in order so we could accomplish the work of the ministry that it still has to be done. So yes, Joshua could say, uh, it'd be said about him, he accomplished everything that Moses was supposed to do, but when it come time to him to die, he said there's still work to be done. There's still work to be done. How many believes there's still work to be done in our kingdom today? If God was finished with the church, he would take the church away. Until the church is taken away, we've still got work to do. We still have work to do. We can say we still have much land to possess. There's still opportunities. Now let's go back and check on Joshua. Go back with me to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. Read, begin reading at verse 29. After these things, 
Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old, and they buried him in his own inheritance at Timoth Syria, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountains of Gash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. He said they continued to serve God until Joshua died, until his, his influential people that he had influenced died. And then it goes on to say, just a little insert, verse 32, as for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob brought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became his inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. Now, we could spend time. This is one of my favorite uh, uh, sermons here where it says that how would you like to have been, you talk about donkey assignment, how would you like to have been responsible to carrying the bones for 40 years? They did. They brought those bones from Egypt, Joseph's bones, and carried them around for 40 years. Why? To fulfill the promise that they made to Joseph. When he said, don't you leave my bones here. I can, gl- I can gladly say one of these days here as the body of Christ, we're not going to leave our bodies here. We're going to go to be with Jesus. Amen. Oh, man. That's a preach. Man. Then verse 33, and Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Geba, the town of uh, Phineas, his son, who it had given him in the hill country of uh, Ephraim. Now, we could spend a lot of time on that. But let me just point out to you, Joshua, their leader, died. Eliezer the priest died. They had buried the bones of Joseph and they were in the promised land where there was a lot of things left to do that didn't get done. Israel began the downfall. How many knows that Israel has had a checkered history ever since those days until now? Up and down, up and down, up and down. How many knows the church has had its up and downs? Up and down, up and down, up and down. But I'm glad to tell you that the nation of Israel is still alive. And I'm glad to tell you that the church is still alive. And the church is doing well even in the midst of all the turmoil that we're having. Now, we need to understand something. Well, what was the key to Joshua's success. He was a great leader. Moses had told him, say, be courageous, be bold. But is that what made him successful? Just being courageous and bold? No, it's a little bit more than that. Flip back with me to Joshua 24, verse 14, 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. We've been talking a lot about Hebrews where it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For my understanding, they could, you could insert that word and be totally within the context of Scripture. 
to say without faithfulness, it's impossible to please God. So for all his life, 110 years, Joshua served the Lord in sincerity and faithfulness. And yes, he was a prophet that got her done. But he told the people, put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me... And my house, we will serve the Lord. See, the way, the key to Joshua's success, the key to the success of you, the key to the success of the church is the choices we make. The choice we make, and of course the number one choice is what? Choose you this day whom you will serve. To make a choice to serve God. And if we fail to make that choice, all the other choices lose their significance. I said if we fail to make that choice, all the other choices lose their significance. Now the question is, how often do we make that choice? Do we make that choice the only day, with the day we get saved and then forget about it the rest of our lives? No, that's the beginning. The day we make their choice to serve God and choose that we're going to serve him, that's the beginning. That's the first day. So how often do we make it? Every day. day. Choose you this day whom you will serve. I'm reading a book by Mark Batterson, a great book. It's called Win the Day. Win the Day. In that, he shares the story of a guy that some of you recognize. I know that you're close enough to Gainesville to have heard a guy by the name of Emmett Smith. Emmett Smith ran, played for the Florida Gators, for those of you that do not know. And then he became a professional football player, and he's the all-time leading rusher in history of football. And Mark Batterson was talking to him, and he said, how do you do it? How can you be so consistent and become so successful and continue doing it? And Emmett Smith said this. He says, I have a 24-hour rule. If I win, I celebrate for 24 hours. If I lose, I lament it for 24 hours. But the next day, I choose to start over. I choose to forget about the past. Now that's biblical because the Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve. The Bible says, give us this day our yearly bread. That doesn't say that, does it? He said, give us our daily bread. Our daily bread. When the manna, you know, when they went out and checked the expiration date on the manna, it says it's good for 24 hours. At the end of the day, now Saturday, and they didn't deliver on Sunday, or excuse me, 
on Friday. They didn't deliver on Saturday. And it was good for two days. But the expiration date on manna was one day. That day. Choose you this day whom you will serve. How about the deadline on anger? It says don't let the sun go down on your wrath or your anger. One day is long enough. How about God's mercy and his grace? Aren't you glad you got a new batch every morning? I know if you don't need it, your spouse does. Huh? We have a new batch every day. What the Bible say, take up your cross daily. So we do that every day. And I think that as Joshua went through life and he had an exciting life, he had a great life. And it was said of him, he got her done. But he did it one day at a time. He walked with diligence. He served in, in sincerity and faithfulness. And he did it one day at a time. So today, today is the day of salvation. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. If we win today, we're winners. We can't carry the weight of yesterday or we can't carry the weight of tomorrow. We choose today. Our longtime missions director, I heard him share it every time I ever heard him speak. And most of you know this, Simmons God is a great missions organization. But every speech that I ever heard him say, speak, he said, we cannot rest on our accomplishments. We must be motivated by the unfinished task. We must be motivated by the unfinished task. And that is so true today. We're motivated. So as Joshua got everything done that he was supposed to have done for Moses' ministry. He established the nation of Israel into the promised land. But before he died, God told him, there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do. When Jesus was on earth, I hope you get this, get this. When Jesus was on earth, he accomplished everything that he set out to do. But he said, there's still a lot of work to do. There's still some things that need to be done. There's still some task. There's still some property. There's still some possessions that need to be won. And I'd like to challenge you today as we prepare our hearts to receive a communion, isn't that what Jesus said? He said, we do this in remembrance, but also in anticipation. The remembrance that is finished, but anticipation that he's coming back for his church.
Ruth Munsey, a number of years ago, wrote an old southern gospel song that was recorded by the Hemp Hills. The title of it was The Unfinished Task. It says, if I carry the gospel to the lost near and far, I won't stand empty-handed at God's judgment bar. But I dare not relax until I've done all he asks that I won't leave behind an unfinished task. If I've wronged my brother, if I've wounded a friend, give me courage, precious Lord, to make amend. And when I've come to change my world and reach glory at last, don't let me leave behind an unfinished task. And when it comes to the crossing, I'll be leaving behind all my earthly possessions, the things I don't mind. It will make my heart glad just to leave all I had. Just don't let me leave behind an unfinished task. And the Course says this, For you have fought and run the race, you have kept the faith. These words I long to hear my Savior say. So when my life on earth is past, there's just one thing, dear Lord, I ask. Don't let me leave behind an unfinished task. Only one life to live. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Worship team, come. Would you bow your heads in prayer as we prepare our hearts to receive communion? And if you're here today and you've never made that choice to serve God, no one else can make that choice for you. It's a choice that you have to make. And I'd encourage you to make it today. And if you're here today and you're worried about yesterday or worried about tomorrow, can I encourage you to just win today? Choose you this day whom you will serve. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, before we partake of communion, I'd like to give an opportunity. If you're here and you, you need to ask forgiveness of your sins, you need to ask God to forgive you and to cleanse you, that's the greatest choice you'll ever make. And I'd like to ask you to just slip up your hand, then you put it back down. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. I see these hands. God knows who they are. Father, minister by your power. Minister by your power. Minister by your power and strength. Have your way, Lord. Holy Spirit, we thank you for meeting with us today. We thank you for touching our hearts, thanking you for touching our lives. God, we just ask you to minister and touch and strengthen right now. Those that raise their hands, we ask you to touch them specially, specifically. God, we're just going to worship you. As we 
pause for a moment before we partake of communion. We're going to sing a song that we already, uh, that their team's going to lead us in. We want to worship the Lord, prepare our hearts for communion. And if you need prayer, before we partake of communion, now we're going to continue in communion in just a moment, but we don't want to cut anybody out from being prayed for if you'd like to respond at this time. So we're going to sing this course, then we're going to continue with communion. If you need prayer, feel free to come on down and we'll pray with you. And then we'll take up from there, brother. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.